Well, I just want to say I'm glad you're all here. So whether it's your first time or you're like returning or visiting or whatever is going on, I'm just glad you guys are here. I know with all the masks, it's kind of hard for everyone to see each other and everything, but maybe could you just turn around, see somebody halfway nearby and just real quick smile with your eyes. Or maybe if you're far enough away, just pull the mask down real quick. Let them see you smile. Um, we've been going through the, the book of Romans, and man, it is a deep book. Romans is one of those books where sometimes I'm like, what is Paul saying here? I, don't, I need to read that three times to understand what he's actually saying. But it is an important book, um, and it's a very um, theologically rich book. Because he takes chapters 1 through 11, so we've been, you know, kind of slowly going through it, and he really lays a solid foundation for what Jesus has done for us, who we are in Christ, what that means for us. He's telling us how to believe rightly, and there's a reason for it. Now, he's also saying, you know, the Jews were kind of the in-group and the Gentiles were the out-group. And so he's really laying a foundation that, man, the good news, it's for everybody. There is no in-group and there is no out-group if you're a believer. And so he's really laying this foundation for unity in the body of Christ, that we would know without a doubt who we are and what Jesus has done for us, but that we wouldn't think that we're the only ones that have it. So he does that and he lays this foundation, but starting in chapter 12 and through the rest, of, you know, through 16, the whole point is now that we know how to believe rightly, how we should live this out. So last week, Pastor Bob preached on Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, and um, his, his message was titled, How Then Shall I Live? Now that we know the good news, how do we live it out? So if you guys have Bibles or smartphones, can you turn to Romans chapter 12? We're going to be going through verses 3 through 8 today. Now, there were some things that stood out to me from Pastor Bob's message that uh, last week that need to be said again because they laid the foundation for, for today's verses that we're going to be going through. He said, our life is an offering. And he was talking about our worship. You know, we, we, when we say worship, we typically mean singing songs. And it is good to use our voices to glorify God. It is good to use our voices to remind ourselves of the truth and to stir up our faith and encourage ourselves. Um, but our worship is not just our songs. It's our whole life. We can worship God with everything that we are, not just for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. And he talked about us being wholly consumed and wholly offered. And that's not H-O-L-Y, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning all of us consumed, all of us being offered. And I loved how he related things in the, um, you know, sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament and how that applies to our everyday life. But I liked what he said about um, we should be known as the burnt ones, Meaning that we get so crispy <laughs> because we've been so consumed by the fire of Jesus. I want to be known as a burnt one. I don't want at the end of my life, whether that's tomorrow or in 50 years, I don't want at the end of my life to know that I held back. I don't want to know that I know that I didn't give Jesus my all and my everything. I want to be known as a burnt one. 
So I think it's interesting that after all of the, you know, chapters on here's what you need to believe, the very first thing that he says, how can we offer ourselves in worship to God? He says, by serving others in the family of God in humility and stewarding our gifts well. So let's read that together. I'm reading out of the NIV, and the the passage is titled, Humble Service in the Body of Christ. So he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to or if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So how do we live? Well, we begin in humility. Now, we have to have a humble perspective of ourselves. And a lot of times, humility can be tied to having a lesser view of yourself, thinking of yourself less and others more. But I really like the way the contemporary English version words verse 3. It says, I realize God has treated me with undeserved grace. And so I tell each one of you not to think you are better than you really are. Use good sense and measure yourself by the amount of faith that God has given you. If I realize that God has treated me with undeserved grace and I keep that awareness then it's really hard to stumble in pride and put myself above others. And I think about this all the time because most of us, lots of us, have a, a past, right? We have a dark moment or maybe it was a very long dark moment, you know, years and years of our lives where we could clearly say we were not serving God or we were doing things that, you know, morally good people would not do, right? But I didn't just need Jesus to rescue me 20 years ago when I was in that dark place of sinning in a way that most people would say, even in the world, that's sinning. No, I, I need Jesus right now. I need Jesus every single day. I don't even just need him when the really hard, big things hit. We all need Jesus when tragedy comes our way or things that we weren't expecting, a sickness, an illness, death. There's all kinds of big moments, foreclosures on a house. When, when our world gets rocked, we need Jesus. But I don't want to lose that awareness that I am experiencing undeserved grace in the everyday. And it helps me because if, I'm, if I don't remind myself of the grace that I've been shown by Jesus, I am prone to give myself grace that I deny to others. The last thing we want to be as believers is morally right, and we feel like we're morally superior to other people. Maybe we feel like we have um, our life together a little bit more than we used to. No, we need humility. We need to depend on the grace of God every day. And that might be through a huge financial struggle. That might be through some family drama that you're going through. That could be just in your car and there's traffic. 
I don't know about you guys, but sometimes that's when I really need Jesus is when there's traffic and bad drivers. We don't want to be like the, the, there's the parable of the unforgiving servant that was forgiven 20 years. It's an estimation, but 20 years of wages, a massive debt. And as soon as he was forgiven, he forgot what had happened to him. And he went out and demanded that somebody who owed him a day's worth of wages repay him. Our heart posture has to remain in humility. So that means, though, that we have to know who we are and who we are not. We have to know not just our identity in Christ and the things that we can experience because we believe in him, but we need to know who God made us to be. That includes your personality. That includes your giftings. That includes your calling. And if we are a people that would actually live out of our true identity in Christ, it's really hard to to live in the two extremes, the extremes people go to of self-promotion you should really get to know me. I'm pretty awesome. And um, I have a gift of prophesying. And if you would just pay attention, you know, that kind of thing. Or self-loathing. There's nothing good about me. My gift isn't really that great. Mm, I I just, I mean, that person's doing it really well. And I'm just going to hide over here in the corner. When we know who we are in Christ, we will walk in humility, but we'll have boldness. And we'll be able to, to walk in a total boldness that this is who God made me to do or who he made me to be. And I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. It's really important, though, that we um, honor who God made us to be and to not, not like ourselves. Because if we can't honor who God made us to be, we will have a really hard time honoring who God made others to be. And that is one of the side effects or whatever, when God started talking to me a lot about my identity and who I am, I did the religious thing of, no, God, you don't need to talk to me about who I am or who you made me to be. I just want to focus on you and your character and who you are. And it was almost like, stop, stop, stop talking. (laughs) Listen to who I made you to be. And I want you to believe it. We have to believe it first. But then I noticed a really weird thing. As soon as I started honoring who God had made me to be, made me to be, I was actively realizing that people all around me were so awesome. They had already been awesome, but I was able to actually honor the distinctiveness and the differences and the gifts that they carry inside of them. So something to ask ourselves is, in what areas do we compare ourselves to others instead of the standard that Jesus has given us? And where in your life do you maybe recognize pride or shame in what you do or who you are? Verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I love that. We belong to each other. I know it's a little weird. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, I belong to you. (laughs) Now you can say, and you belong to me. (laughs) Um, we belong to each other, you guys. This is totally countercultural to the way the American Christian and, and, and churches see themselves. We look at this as a very individual thing. Don't try to tell me what to do. If, if, you, if I get hurt or offended, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, kind of take myself out of community. This is very counter, countercultural to say that we belong to each other. That means we need each other. Each of you has a gift inside of you that I need. I need something that you carry. 
You need something that I carry. And I don't just mean here on a Sunday morning where some of the gifts maybe seem more elevated than others. That's why the family of God is so important and why it's important that we, when one of the members is in pain, that we experience the pain with them. They don't have to bear it alone. If somebody's rejoicing and celebrating, we get to rejoice and celebrate with them. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're connected, inextricably connected to each other. So unity, we, we all know that unity is vital to our physical bodies working well. We know that our body is designed to work well together, and it's very frustrating when something in our physical body doesn't work well together and when there is dysfunction. But we need each other to be in unity, and unity is not uniformity. There has to be diversity. There has to be diverse gifts. There has to be diverse opinions. There has to be uh, diverse life experiences and backgrounds and belief systems. But regardless, we're supposed to be unified. And you have to know that nobody, nobody is dispensable in God's family. Nobody It's not like, you know, people (laughs) used to sometimes say like, oh, you have a lot of kids. And um, it's not like, oh, if we lost one kid, we'd be like, well, we still have five. No, nobody is dispensable in God's family. You're valuable to God and you're valuable to others. You carry value inside of you. So where, where have you believed a lie that maybe you don't need others, that you're self-sufficient and you got this and you don't need people um, or that others don't need you. Because typically we can kind of go back and forth between those two extremes. I know for our family, the whole stay-at-home thing was actually really good for our family. I love doing church at home in my pajamas with coffee and bacon and whatever else. And, you know, we got we just got all cozy with blankets and if I need to experience God, I know how to worship on my own. I don't, I don't think I need all of you to be able to do that. But the very first time I came in here, uh, the first week of August, I was talking to a, a lady, and within a few minutes, I'm praying for her. And do you know what I experienced? She didn't need my prayer, or maybe she did, but I, I wasn't experiencing like, whoa, this is such a great prayer. Um, I was experiencing myself getting ministered to because I was feeling my faith getting stirred, and I was like, oh, I know what she needs to hear. God's telling me what she needs to hear. That's exciting. And I could, I, I missed out on a part of that by my comfy, cozy worship services that we were having at our house. Have you allowed a hurt or an offense keep you from being in unity with other believers? We say it all the time that if God has placed you in this family, then this is the community that he's going to use to shape you to become more like him. But that isn't always just encouragement and like high fives and you're doing a good job. It's also like, hey, uh, I don't know if you meant to come across like this, but this is how I experienced you. And then being able to have a good response to that. We shape each other. We need each other. And we cannot allow hurt and offense. It needs to be dealt with. But we can't allow that to allow us to disconnect from the body of God. Verse 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. 
If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And stewardship implies that there is a responsibility attached to the gifts God has given us. So stewards manage or look after another's property. They take care of something that isn't their own. They oversee or they tend to someone or something that someone else owns and is invested in. And I think sometimes this is where we can get messed up. And if we could actually get this idea that we are stewards of not just our gifts, but all kinds of things, it would really help us. So Pete and I, when we first got married, um, we got pregnant right after. Um, I'm pregnant with Aiden. I I didn't know we were having a boy and I didn't know um, he didn't have a name yet. But I remember at some point having cramping and, you know, that can mean a miscarriage. And so I tell Pete about it. And um, his first response, um, he, he's, he's grown so much in his compassion and his empathy. Um, but this was Pete at 23. Um, I'm having cramps, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could be having a miscarriage. And he's like, well, if it dies, it dies. And that was, you know, not the thing, you know, you want to hear. Um, but as we talked it out and as he explained his heart to me, What he was trying to say is that that baby in your womb is not yours, and it's not ours. And that doesn't mean that you can't be sad and grieve if you have a miscarriage. But the perspective that everything that we have is actually God's, and it's been given to us to steward, to take care of. But my kids, our kids, they belong to him. You know, we say a lot of times that God doesn't have grandkids in the kingdom. There's no grandkids in the kingdom. God is a father to everyone in the kingdom. That means my kids are actually his kids, that he is allowing me to tend to, to maybe call out their their giftings, call out their identities. My kids are actually his kids that he's saying, will you oversee? Will you oversee them? Will you take care of this thing that I'm really invested in? which as a parent is a huge weight off of my shoulders because I can get so caught up in they're not, nothing that I'm trying to teach them is sinking in. It's not getting through. They're, they're, they're unthankful and they're grumpy and they're whining. They leave their shoes all over the place and they don't, I don't even think they know what, you know, they don't follow God. I don't really think in their heart. It's so comforting to know that God is more invested in my kids than I am. And that is pride for me to think that I somehow care more, you know, that my worry means that I care more about my kids than, than God does. We are stewards of our kids. We're stewards of our homes. Whether you own the home or you're just renting, you are a steward of that home, that property. You're a steward of the, the gifts God has given you. Yes, you're a steward of your relationships, your friendships your blood family, the family you didn't get to choose, you know, the family that you were placed in, you're a steward of those relationships. Here's the thing, though, is that in the same way God is invested in my kids more than I am, he is more invested in you and in the gifts he's given you than you are probably. 
And he needs you to practice using that gift, to grow that gift. He needs you to use it on other people because the gifts that he's given us are treasures to bless others. Others in the body of Christ and others outside this little church community out in the world. So one of the ways you can practice using your gifts, get in a community group. Even if it's on Zoom, it is kind of cool how even with Zoom, I don't like it. It's annoying. We're all over it by now. But, um, you know, Pete and I got prophesied over Zoom, and it was a very anointed prophetic word. There was no piano playing in the background. You know, didn't have all the people looking at us and, oh, that's a good word. No, somebody just saying something over Zoom, and it deeply ministered to us. So get in a community group, whether it's a Zoom or in person, and that is an area where you get to practice your gifts. Um, you can come on a Sunday morning as soon as you walk through that door. You, if you meet a person and say hi to them, that's an opportunity to practice your gifts. It's an opportunity to encourage somebody. It's an opportunity to look for something that needs to be done and go serve cheerfully. Maybe God's like, hey, give that person over there 50 bucks. You don't know them, but maybe he wants you to give them money. It's an opportunity to lead now, a lot of times I think when we talk about gifts um, in these passages here, we think they're spiritual gifts meant to be used in spiritual settings. No, that is so wrong. You can use them here, and that is great, and it's a great place to practice. However, you can practice teaching your kids. Teachers, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a teacher, and that means I need to teach a Bible study in like a back classroom or teach up here on a Sunday morning. Teach your kids about God's grace. Teach your kids about how good God has been to you. Tell them your stories of how in your life God came through for you. Do it in your home. You don't have little kids? Fine. Do you have grandkids? Any grandkids that you want to teach and tell the story of God to? Do you have neighbor kids that the parents are okay with you doing that? <laughs> Find some neighbor kids. Tell them about the goodness of God. Teaching does not have to be, I studied a concordance, I know the Hebrew and Greek meaning of every single word, and I'm going to break down this entire chapter for you. No, it could be a simple sentence. Practice it in your home. Practice encouraging your classmates or teachers or coworkers in these crazy Zoom meetings we're all a part of right now. Get on afterwards and let a teacher know Thank you for the work that you are doing for my children, even though I'm so frustrated and it's hard for me to. No, don't say that. But just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. This is, you know, the word keeps getting used, unprecedented. It really is. We could all use some unprecedented amounts of encouragement, right? We all are in this together. We're all experiencing different things maybe, but we're all in this together. So use your gift of encouragement. Text someone. It does not even have to be in person. There are times where sometimes I get a text and it's just like, hey, thinking of you, I miss you. And it's a friend checking in on me. And it's at the moment where I'm at the verge of tears and I'm frustrated. And I don't need to even vent everything that's going on. It's, oh, I know God told them. I know God told them to, to text me. And it wasn't a verse or anything. It's just, hey, how are you doing? And I know God sees me. You don't know what you can do with just one text or one call. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hands. Do you have any family drama? Family drama, drama, friend drama, any, anything? Marriage drama, maybe? I don't know. Parenting drama. We can practice prophesying over a person that maybe we don't like, that is causing trouble in our family or in our relationships. How about you practice prophesying by saying, God, how do you see this person? 
And then start interacting with them how he sees them. Start interacting with them as a child of God, somebody that God loves and wants in his family. Or maybe they're a Christian, and that's even worse. But then you ask God, you say, okay, how do you see them? Now, I'm going to speak those words over them. I'm going to speak words of life over them instead of just complaining about what a problem they are. Practice serving and showing kindness to a neighbor that annoys you. Got a neighbor that annoys you? Go bake them cookies. Um, Mow their lawn for them if they're okay with that. I don't know. Um, Talk to them. Maybe you're the kind of person that's like, oh, I hope nobody catches me from my car to my, (laughs) my house. You don't want to talk to anybody. Maybe stop and ask them how they're doing. Show some extra kindness. Something fun to do is uh, practicing giving money away. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't have the gift of generosity, so I don't have to give generously. But um, God's called us all to be generous because he's been generous with us. Um, Practice giving money away. Maybe it's to uh, somebody on the side of the road that, you know, normally you'd say, well, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Maybe you walk in this building and God says, you know, go give that person some money. But practice giving gifts. You can actually ask God what that's prophecy and giving. What kind of a gift would mean something to this person right now that only they would know about, that maybe only would minister to them? What is something that I can do? Practice using the gifts God has given you. So let's ask ourselves, what is God asking us to steward well in this season? Not last season, not last year, right now. In the fall of 2020, the craziest year I've ever known. I think it's the craziest year a lot of us have ever known. What is God asking you to steward well in this season? Is there anything that you have seen as belonging to you that you need to realize belongs to him? So obviously, you know, practice using your gifts, practice using your gifts. And I I know some people are saying, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Here's the cool thing. When you're in community and you're with other people, um, you will notice people may be saying, wow, when you prayed... um, are, are you prophetic? When you prayed, it was just you used this word that I had just been, you know, talking to God about in my prayer time this morning. And I used this word, and you used that word in your prayer to me. And you might say, I'm not prophetic. I, I don't think so. But God will use those interactions with other people to let you know, here's what I've placed inside of you. And if you can't see it yourself, don't worry. God will have someone else call it out of you. Oh, I noticed you have a good voice, and you have a heart for worship. And someone else will call it out in you. Here's the thing, though, that we need to use our gifts in love. Um, We don't use our gifts to make ourselves feel good. And we will. We'll feel good when we're using our gifts. We will. But um, we don't use our gifts to manipulate others for them to maybe think that we're really cool because we have a gift of healing or, uh, man, I'm, you know, that person's such a servant. Um, And we can actually have a lot of pride in using our gifts once we get, you know, good at it. But we don't use our our gifts as out of duty We do it out of delight. It might start as a duty, but we use our gifts enough. It will become a delight to us. It'll become a delight to the people that are experiencing our gifts. We don't want to hide away our gifts. Like the servant that, you know, hid his talents because he was too scared that when the master came back, the master was going to say, you didn't do it right. God doesn't want us hiding our gifts because we're scared of doing it wrong. I look at it this way. The least we can do, the very least, God gave us his all. He gave us his son. 
Jesus gave us his all. He gave us his, his life and then invites us into new life with him. If he did nothing else for us, never answered another prayer, that is enough. But he doesn't just do that. He keeps laying out his life for us. He keeps pouring himself out for us every single day. And if that's the example that Jesus set, I think that we could at least try to give ourselves fully to him, to allow ourselves to be fully consumed by him, to say, you know what, I feel awkward in this gift, or I don't know what my gifts are, or I don't like people, and so now you're asking me to be in community, like whatever those things are, I'm sure, right, we could lay that down and say yes to Jesus because he's worth it, because he's worthy. Jesus said that if we hold on to our lives, we will lose them. And I've had lots of experiences in my life where I'm like gripping something, control, um, or, you know, it could be anything. It could be my reputation. It could be, you know, parenting my kids, whatever the thing is, something with Pete, you know, where you're just, you're hanging on. But Jesus says, if we hold on to those things, we'll lose our lives. What if, though, we were to die to our worries, those things that keep us up late into the night? What if we were to die to our worries? What if we were to die to our fear, the unknowns, the things of, you know, children dying or marriages falling apart or losing finances? What if we were to die to those fears? What kind of people could we be if we died to our shame? Shame is a huge factor in keeping people from using their gifts. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as somebody else or Because of what I've done, I have no business using this gift. What if we died to our shame, though? What if we died to our pride? I think right now, as um, an American Christian, the American church, what if we collectively and individually died to our self-righteousness, the thing where we think we're better than others, and that we kind of have a leg up on something, And where we stop offering the unfiltered gospel and unconditional love to people. What if we died to our self-righteousness? When we offer our whole life to Jesus, when we are fully consumed by him, when we get crispy, we we become the burnt ones, we will really live the life, the abundant life that he promised us. And so I think right now as Christians in America... What if we offered our political beliefs to Jesus? Yeah. (laughs) What if we did? I think that even just that thing alone, and I love politics. I love a good debate. I want to know what someone else believes, and I want to tell you what I believe, and I want to tell you about all the books I've read and articles I've seen, and I'm a, I'm a justice person, and I used to be like an anti-voter, and now I'm like, oh, I, this is a responsibility. I want to steward this well. Um, what if we actually, like, you know, prayed before we voted and asked God who to vote for and not just down a party line? What if we asked God what he's doing in, in America right now, and how can I work with you, God, and not against you? How can I bring people to you through my actions on social media? And it could be stop posting. It could be take a break. But I think about that. What if we offered our smartphones to Jesus? And I don't mean you have to get rid of them. But what if we actually had self-control 
on what we looked at, how often we picked them up, what we were doing while we were on our smartphones. And I'm not advocating like, you know, you don't have to throw it in the toilet or anything. Like, there you go, Jesus. I mean, it could be something like self-control. What if we offered our physical bodies to Jesus? I used to be somebody that kind of took my body for granted and, um, you know, had a great metabolism when I was younger and just was kind of like, it's working. It's, it's working for me. I'm at a point where I have to actually think about what I put into my body, what I eat and what I drink. Am I getting enough water? Am I getting enough veggies? Am I taking all my vitamins and supplements? And you can say, well, is that self-care? No, it's stewarding what God has given me because if my body gives out on me, I don't have any more opportunities to reflect the love of Jesus here on this earth. I'm done. Um, At PBC, uh, Portland Bible College, uh, I took a class. It was on uh, the doctrine of the church. And Travis Arnold said, we triumph in sacrifice. He said, we triumph in pouring ourselves out for others in humility and dying to ourselves. This is the method for conquering. And he was talking about the example of Jesus and how when he died, Satan thought he won. And, you know, all the Jewish leaders thought they won. But that in sacrificing and pouring himself out in dying, that was our way to say, okay, if I want to conquer, if I want to triumph in something, then this is the method. This is the way to follow. Will you guys stand with me? Everything seems upside down right now in our world. Can I get an amen? <laughs> um, but when, when things seem really upside down, one, I get excited because there's a lot of evil that is being exposed right now. There's a lot of um, injustice that is being exposed right now. And I'm the kind of person, Pete is too, we would much rather know what we're dealing with. So when people are like, oh, all this stuff is coming to the surface, I'm like, that means it was already there and we just weren't paying attention. We were dealing with a facade. I want to know what's underneath the surface. But I get excited when things go wrong, according to our standards. I get excited when ugliness is exposed because then that means that we can actually deal with what, know what we're dealing with and, and do something about it. I get excited because I think that's the way Jesus would respond. He would be excited. He worked with outside of the paradigms of his time. He didn't work within these neat little boxes. His disciples were baffled by him. Religious leaders were baffled by him. People, you know, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all the people that shouldn't have had a place at the table had a place at the table. That was baffling. He worked outside of, of paradigms. And so, we, we triumph over evil and we triumph over injustice not by being louder. Nobody needs us Christians to shout any louder. Um, he, we, don't, we don't triumph over evil or injustice by getting revenge. We don't triumph over evil or injustice by being morally right or superior and looking our, you know, down at the people who are doing things that we would never do. We don't try, or we triumph over evil and justice, or we don't, I'm sorry, um, by being even theologically correct. And sometimes that's a little scary to me because you can have all the right theology, nice and clean and tight, and anybody could sign off on it, but that doesn't mean that you're actually living it out. You're not actually living it out in love. So Jesus, <laughs> we need you. 
We need you. We need you. We need you. We need your ways. We need your love. We need your humility. We need your power. We need who you are. We need to be consumed by you, Jesus. We want to be known as the burnt ones. We want people to come to us in the middle of all this chaos and say, you're a different kind of Christian. What do you have that the other ones don't have? I want that power. I want that peace. I want that joy. I want that humility. And then now you're prophesying over me. What is this? Like, I don't even know what that is, but you've got that too. Can I have that too? You've got wisdom. You've got discernment. We need Jesus. Let's just take a moment and, and just in your own heart, if there was any of those questions that stood out to you, um, just let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just, um, we invite you to move, um, not just through worship and through song, but we invite you to move right now to, to, to search, to convict. We invite you to know us, know our thoughts, know our minds, And we just ask that you would do your work, do a full and complete work. Let us know the areas where we're we're missing the mark. And I thank you, man, Jesus, thank you that you do not dump all these things on us all at once. There's usually like one thing you're working on at a time. It's that one thing you're like, I just, I want to, I want to touch on this right here. So, Jesus, I thank you for your kindness and that it's your kindness that leads us to repent. We want to be a repentant people, a people that um, are not straying from the things that you set out for us. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. Help us to know who we are in you. Help us to honor others and who you made them to be. Help us to know what our gifts are. Help us to steward those gifts well. And Lord, may we always do it in love. We just thank you for who you are, Jesus. In your holy name, amen.